Hello to the listeners out there. I'm Emma, and I'm with my co-host today, Dario. Say hi to the listeners, Dario. Hi, everyone. We have a good topic we're talking about today, so stay tuned. Some of you may be questioning if you just heard a gunshot, and for the hunters out there, you know that sound pretty well. What up, hunters? (laughs) Indeed, we did play a gunshot for you today because Dario and I will be addressing the issue of inhumane treatment of animals in our world today. But modern-day people aren't solely to blame. Looking back at antiquity, we see some strikingly similar behaviors that have carried on from before the common era. So you're saying that we're just like the people that lived over 2,000 years ago? That's right. We'll give you a glimpse into ancient hunting practices and animals used for human entertainment. And you guessed right, ancient gods will play a role. So Emma, why don't you get us started? So the treatment of animals in antiquity has kind of been hypocritical. This is because on the one hand, it was related to the gods. According to um, Jade Donald Hughes, a modern historian who wrote Environmental Problems of Greeks and Romans, Artemis, the god of the wild, was kind of the protector of the sacred lands and where the animals stayed. And in these sanctuaries, wildlife was protected by Artemis and other gods, and you need permission from them to hunt there, and it would only be granted on a need basis. In these areas, you could not bring any dogs or weapons, it had to be just you. Although the gods tried to emphasize hunting in moderation, that was not always practiced. So in this way, the gods were a protector of game species, and if in any way someone offended the gods or hurt the animals in a way that wasn't supposed to happen, then they would have some form of misfortune. Because of this, the hunters would take the gods into account when they were hunting. So if they were killing an animal, they would kill it with gratitude because it was god sent. They would only kill the animals that they needed. Arian, an ancient historian, even wrote a handbook specifically to go over the treatment of hunting animals. And they said to never ignore the gods, especially Artemis. And if you do, then you would have misfortune. So reading a passage from this, one must dedicate first fruits of the chase. No less than one must offer the spoils of war after a victory. In this way, hunting would only be limited to non-pregnant females and older animals. Also, people were deterred from hunting in a way because gods were seen to take animal shape sometimes. This is especially true for Dionysus, who in the Iliad would become a lion or a bull, or Zeus, who, according to Hughes, is known to take the animal form of a swan or an eagle or a bull or even sometimes an ant. So these types of hunting practices were mostly for subsistence. So hunting so that you can feed your family and you can survive, because obviously we need to eat. Although the gods had tried to emphasize hunting in moderation, that was not always practiced. And this especially becomes prevalent when we consider hunting for commercial use, hunting for sport, or hunting for entertainment. So Dario, you're the expert on this. Why don't you explain it? I wouldn't call myself an expert. But to go off what Emma was saying, and to use Hughes again, commercial hunting arose so that not everyone had to go out and hunt their own food on their own. So these individuals would go out to what are called game drives, which are essentially what we know today as farmer's markets, or meat markets. Various parts of the animal were then sold at these game drives, such as the meat, as well as animal skin that could be then used for other purposes. Fish were also sold at these game drives, and they were obtained by being caught with a net or cultured in saltwater ponds, like what we know today as farm fishing. So animals were also killed if they were a threat to the farmer's land or their livestock. Unfortunately, hunting was used as a sport or recreationally, mostly within the elite members of society. They would then venture off into places known as paradises, where there would be known to be lots of animals, perfect 
for their game. The mentality for Hughes here was that wild animals belonged to no one until they were caught and then they belonged to those who caught them. Animals were often also used for entertainment purposes. In Roman circuses, animals were used as sources of amusement, but as Hughes illustrates, even rare animals were afterwards mutilated and killed. And you see this stuff today. For example, we see it in for-profit zoos and national traveling circuses. I don't know about you, Emma, but I've never been to the circus, but I'm sure that those animals are worked very hard. Sure, we have come to realize how wrong it is to kill or torture circus animals, yet we still have circuses in which animals spend most of their time in captivity just for our entertainment. And since animals, animal circuses especially attract children, think about the lesson we're teaching them. From a young age, children are taught that there's nothing else or there's nothing wrong with treating animals like this. Yeah, I haven't been to a circus either, but regrettably I have been to SeaWorld and watching the dolphins and orcas do tricks. Um, after I went, I watched the documentary Blackfish about um, the orca Tilikum, who was a young and friendly, quote, killer whale, but turned violent from captivity. Uh, lots of these whales in captivity have been dying from exhaustion and bacterial infections from the water and not having access to the vast ocean. Only the small little tanks that are big enough to store them in. That's terrible. People keep taking advantage of these poor animals. And some other examples of using animals for entertainment purposes are cockfighting and dogfighting, as well as chariot racing, all of which we still have today. Actually, chariot racing brings up an interesting concept. Chariot racing was mentioned in Virgil's didactic poem, The Georgics, which is relevant because it gives us an insight into the behavior of the people that lived in antiquity. Virgil's account of chariot races shows how horses were treated and that it depends on their success in the race. The goal is to have a horse that will be a winner in the race. If a horse was successful, then the owner would want to breed that horse after the racing days were over so that they could then have more successful horses. So if the horse was successful, then they would be rewarded with an abundant amount of food and water to prepare them for the mating process, which we see in Virgil's instructions for breeding successful horses for chariot races. Listen closely to these words from the Georgics. When the mating time is soon to come around, great care is taken over the body of him. For the work of making love and to ensure that no weak offspring will be born who carries the weakness of a father into the future. So what about the horses that did not do well in the chariot races? How were they then treated by their owners? I don't know about you, Emma, but from looking at Virgil's account, I don't think they were treated very well. Exactly. I would assume that the animals were either put down or were somehow whipped or something, and that doesn't sit well with me. Now, this mentality towards animals in antiquity has, is what's carried on through the years and has affected how we looked at, look at animals today. Today, the same thing happens to animals, but now it's on such a larger scale because we have agricultural technology that keeps advancing, and animals are just treated worse and worse. Now people don't even care about the gods. We have things like feedlots where livestock have to be given antibiotics to eat foods that they weren't naturally supposed to eat. Get this, according to Consumers Union, apparently approximately 80% of the antibiotics sold in the United States is used in meat and poultry production. How disgusting is that? And in these feedlots, animals are crammed together and they can't move. And mass amounts of animals are slaughtered and then processed to be distributed around the globe. In antiquity, most people had to physically take the life from these animals and thus had a better knowledge 
of the consequences that hunting came with. Now we have machines that send baby chicks down a conveyor belt to be killed all at once. I mean, yes, we have hunting laws here and there, and we can't hunt in certain areas, or there are laws against hunting animals that are endangered, but you still see things today like poaching, and now we're just exacerbating the problem with more technology, and this mentality towards animals isn't going in a good direction. So to me, it's clear that animals have been treated poorly in antiquity, and that poor treatment has exacerbated the treatment of animals today. The only difference? Today it's on a much larger scale. This all being said, where does this leave us? So Dario, will humans change the way we treat animals, or will they stay on course? Well, Emma, unfortunately, I don't think this behavior will change anytime soon. I'd like to believe that we will, but due to the nature of our increasingly sophisticated lifestyles in which we continue to technologically innovate, I believe we are moving further and further away from the importance of recognizing that we are part of an ecosystem that shares this world with other animals. Yeah, so maybe the first step in finding a way out of this mess is to address the problem with our culture. How can we metaphorically put the knife back into our ha- the hands of our people? Or let me phrase it this way. How can we get people to think and to s- see the consequences of their actions relating to the treatment of animals? That means you New Yorkers. I know you have a big horse race coming up in a couple of months. Consider what happens behind the scenes at the Belmont Stakes. Are you betting on a horse to win? Or are you actually betting with your, with your dollars on working horses to exhaustion? That's a great point, Dario. Even Pope Francis has chimed in on this topic in Laudato Si on care for our human, our common home. So since the Pope speaks the word of God, we've come full circle. We are back to the gods telling us how to treat the earth and all of its inhabitants. So it is about time we start listening. Yeah. Thank you to all who took the time to listen to us today. We hope we got the wheels and thoughts moving about how we treat animals. Yeah, thank you to all the listeners. We hope you enjoyed our segment, and if you'd like to learn more about the information we talked about today, I encourage you to check out our environmental, check out environmental problems of Greeks and Romans by J. Don Hughes, Virgil's Georgics, and Laudato C. from Pope Francis. Bye. Bye.